0: back to the current. I'm your host Nadia Last and I'm sitting here reflecting on this interview that I did with Becca Piastrelli and Becca was introduced to me through our mutual personal trainer. This is the first season of my life that I'm prioritizing a personal trainer to correct a lot of the exercise forms that I've been using for years and have been apparently doing incorrectly. And so I've invested in a personal trainer that I see periodically. And this woman, the personal trainer is so amazing. Her name is Jackie. I'm going to link her in the show notes in case you are in Northern California in Marin County, and you are looking for someone to see either on an ad hoc or regular basis to really connect your body. And she also is a nutritionist and really connected to different essential oils and the medicine that is food and I just love, she has a very holistic practice. So super grateful. And I feel very privileged that I've been able to see Jackie over these past few months. And after several sessions together, or I guess workouts together, she was like, you know, Nadia, I have someone to introduce you to. She has a very similar, but different healing energy. You both have like this healing energy. And first off, I was so flattered. Second of all, I was so excited to be connected with someone, especially someone close to me, because we moved up to Marin County about a year and a half ago, and we're slowly meeting people out here, but it's slow and steady, and I've been yearning for more community. So I connected with Becca and really learned about her work just through reading her book, which is called Root and Ritual, and it's like this beautiful coffee table book that has gorgeous illustrations. And it's basically, how can we connect to our ancestral ways? These ways in which our bodies have been operating for years and years and years on this planet. And it's only in the last hundred years that so much of the technology around us has developed. And yet our bodies are yearning for belonging that's rooted in our individual ancestral lineage and also just our human lineage. And what was cool about this conversation is that my spiritual practice is often receiving inspiration about humanity's future and where we are right now. But I'm not often looking at our past on this planet to help us make sense of the future. And it's really cool because, of course, I looked up Becca's human design chart and she has this amazing channel that connects 50 to 27, which is all about assessing the principles and the values that need to endure over time, that we should bring forward from previous generations into future generations to protect us, to nurture us, to care for us, especially those who can't care for themselves, the children that we're bringing into this world right now, whether you're a birthing person or parent or not, the future generation, and also older generations. And it was so cool to see this channel really embodied as Becca was speaking for just giving a voice to everything that we've learned throughout our human history. And I learned so much about this yearning that I've totally felt in my body. Things that come in these small moments of respite where I don't have Wi-Fi for a weekend and I'm unable to connect to the internet or, you know, the new feature on iPhones where you can just silence notifications and this centeredness that I can find and even an hour of not being connected to notifications and this excitement when the power goes out and we light candles in our home and and we're able to just connect in, in a really deep way. And that exists within all of us. I learned so much from this conversation and it was really cool to just ask her all the different questions that I had after reading her book and just getting into the nitty gritty. And I hope that this The threads of our conversation follow your fascination as well. And before we get into the episode, I just want to share and and remind you all that we have our next cohort of human design training launching. We're opening up our doors at the end of June 2022, and we are going to start in September. This program is so fun because we launched our very first cohort of this, the spring of this year. And it's a way for you to learn how to read a human design chart, how to really take this modality and apply it into whatever services you're currently offering, or ways to become a better and more attuned parent to your children and your family. A thousand reasons why you would want to join a training like this. But I think one of the juiciest reasons that I have gotten so much out of HDT is getting so geeked out about the system and having the language and the lingo and learning this entire new language, but then feeling like you don't have anyone in your life or maybe like one or two close people that you can actually speak about this with. And one of the most beautiful organic things that have happened through this program, this intimate cohort is that we connected everyone in these small groups. And I was just talking to someone this morning who was like, Nadia, we, are my small group connected over the weekend. We were literally talking for two hours and I had, you know, childcare duties that I had to attend to. And I literally had to like rip myself away from the zoom call that we connected because it was just so nourishing to be able to speak with people who get it and how deep you can go and how, you know, I was a self-studier for a long time before I found people in my life that I could talk about human design with. And my co-facilitator, Sam, when we were connected through a mutual friend, that we also had on this podcast on the Manifestor episode, it was like, whoa, it fast-tracked my understanding of human design and my integration of this system because we were able to unpack our worlds and our circumstances and our relationships through the shared language of human design and kind of deepen our understanding of the different centers because of our unique experiences and our different definitions. Because at the end of the day, we're all so unique and have a unique lens through which we're understanding human design based on the gifts that we have and the energy that we have. And so we can deepen our understanding by learning human design with someone with very different definition. It's a long-winded way of saying, join us. We would love to have you. We have 30 people on the wait list right now. And if you want to be one of the first to find out about this, you can go to nadialastcom slash training. I'll include that in the show notes and we're giving everyone a a pretty long ramp up period to decide because we want you to ride out your emotional wave. We want you to wait on the lunar cycle. We want you to self-project into the decision, whatever your authority is, we want you to be able to ask us as many questions as you have right now, because it's an investment of time and resources and attention and all of those things deserve intentionality. Without further ado, I am so excited to introduce you to Becca Piastrelli. Here we go. Becca Piastrelli, it is so wonderful (laughs) (laughs) to have you on this podcast. Uh, For those listening, I synchronistically was connected to Becca through a woman who um, we both work out with, who is a personal trainer and a nutritionist. And I stumbled across her website only a few months ago, and she's a magical being. And she told me almost as soon as we started working out, she's like, Nadia, there is someone I work out with that has such a healing, beautiful presence you two need to meet. And that person is you, Becca.
1: You, mm-hmm.
0: what I know about you is that you've written this beautiful book that I've been reading over the past couple of weeks called Root and Ritual. And I know that you have chickens and I know that you have <laughs> a daughter named Atlas. But for those who have never heard of you before in this moment, what feels like the most
1: uh, juicy way to describe your beingness? <laughs> First of all, shout out to Jackie Salzgiver of Iron and Salt Fitness. Mm-hmm. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, north, the North Bay, get to it. Cause yeah, life-changing. Um, okay. Who am I? What is my beingness? Yes. Great question. I'm a mother. Uh, my child is almost two. I had her in the deep pandemic times. And I start with that to say that I am in a rite of passage in becoming capital M mother, the matrescence. So um, I've had a real experience of knowing who I was and then entering into like a deep, deep portal and then trying to one, remember who I am, but also know who I am becoming. And then, yeah, I'm an author. I wrote a book called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community and the Self, uh, which we'll talk about. I'm a podcaster too. I have a podcast called Belonging because my lifelong wound slash medicine is, is just that trying mm-hmm. to feel and trying to seek out a sense of belonging in in my body, in social groups, and community, on Earth as a you know a settler, colonizer, descendant, you know as a as a being of the Earth, and yet one who you know grew up in shopping malls. So that's just like the onion I'm peeling of my life. And then once upon a time I led retreats around the world, and I think I'm going to do it again, maybe soon. And I hold space, I hold space for primarily women to come home to themselves uh, in the ways that feel true, in the ways that are often counter to what they were told or programmed or uh, modeled to be. That's and very long and rambly.
0: It no, it's great. <laughs> and I can't wait to unpack all these yeah. parts of it. But for those, I have two quick questions. The first point is that Becca and I are both partnered with Humans who work in the, the software realm. And yeah. so that programming language takes on its own life. Pure generators, is... right? So here's so a pure gen- Scott's a projector, actually. Whoa! I know. It's okay. wild. Put a pin yes. in that, gotta know more. Put a pin in that, two projectors in relationship. And Becca is a manifesting generator who is a sacral being born under the life path, the cross of the unexpected. So your life is meant to take these unexpected twists and turns You're meant to get into all of these different things that kind of surprise you along the way. But you said a word that I want to define, matrescence. What what
1: is that word? Alexandra Sachs is the the human who coined that term. She has an excellent TED Talk. Highly recommend that in the show notes if you can for folks who are like, oh, feeling something in their bodies. (laughs) Uh, So we know about adolescence, right, that many years shift of hormones and body and, uh, emotions and life journeys to move from child to adult. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a same thing that happens to a human when they become a parent. And I'm speaking from, from a birthing person's perspective, I will use the term woman, uh, to become a mother. Uh, it's, it's said to be at least two years long. It feels right for me. Uh, I think the pandemic is making it a little longer, but that you don't just overnight feel like one that you've got it figured out, but two have have an idea of who you are now. And there's a deep loss and grief part of it, which I, I really want to bring voice to like you're not there's nothing wrong with you if you feel that. And then there's um there's just like a cellular reconstruction. Of self, I really feel like I said like my old self was obliterated. I don't know if that's true anymore. It felt true, but now I feel like I kind of know the bits and pieces that moved through the portal with me. It is a major life, radical life transitionary moment that takes time. Whoa! And it's so interesting, Becca and I
0: both recently had COVID, and and when I met you in person, you said like there there was maybe a microcosm of this feeling of getting sick and feeling like this dissolution of self and then coming back on the other side. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious if you can describe that a bit more. Like what does it feel like when you, when you don't know where yourself is or when the pieces are kind of
1: fragmented on the ground? The obliteration point. (laughs) Yeah. Disorienting. Um, It sort of depends on your relationship with surrender and chaos. I had it down in theory and even coached people, made money, had a platform on yeah, the very natural movement that is, you know, a human moving through life and what the gates they go through, so to speak, right? The rites of passage. Uh, but that this this one and and others, I'm sure, like I could think of divorce or or the death of a loved one, really just the way you thought it was gonna go, it's not going that way. And then the The grief, the rage, the acceptance, the humility, like to your knees. And then the rebuilding step by step, the surrender to the linear timeline. And like, you know how, when things are hard, the advice is like minute by minute, day by day. It's like the, really the thing you can hold on to. I remember my therapist told me two things. Your therapist too, right? Therapist in training. Uh, one is like, you're going minute by minute, babe, you're going minute by minute, and you're, you're just lowering the bar all the way into the ground. Like your expectations of yourself and how this is going to go are actually getting in the way of you experiencing the transition. And so those were just the best words I could hear of just like, let's bury the bar in the ground and be here now for Yeah. Put it, the, putting it back together for the emergence. Right. And I think anyone
0: listening, whether you're a birthing person or not, you've gone through change and you'll continue to go through change. And what I hear is like bearing the bar is like bearing expectations. And yet our entire society is built on, this is how things will look at certain ages and certain timelines. Yeah. And I actually, my group of friends is going through like the wedding portals right now, which is its own eye-rolly thing of, of expectations and societal conditioning. And I think the takeaway is if you're so set in how things will go in the planning of something, then you won't be able to be in the experience as it's unfolding.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, our, the time we're in is so like social media feed driven It's like the paradox of too much information. I I just try to keep like an ancestral perspective of like what ancestors never really went through it in this way because they weren't looking what everyone else was doing or like compare, you know, there's like the comparison trap that can feel really hard. And I know for weddings, that's a big thing. And for having babies, that's a big thing because that, you know, the highlight reel of sharing what's going well or what looks like it's going well, doesn't lend itself to resilience and tool building through moments that shake you up. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I think it tends to create shame. Is there a
0: memory that's swimming up to the surface of like, this is really not how I thought it was going to go.
1: Oh, hundreds sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. I just, it really, really, really threw me off and I couldn't find my feet. I felt like I was being tumbled around in like a stormy sea and I just could not get my grasp. And I felt very scared. I felt like someone, please come save me. That's what I realized is I also felt this in my labor and birth. I had a home birth 48 hours. And I just felt like this is the absolute edge of what I think I can do. And I don't think I can do it anymore. And I need someone to save me. And there wasn't there's no one to do that. You Whoa. just have to find your way through it. And what's what sort of uh, delayed the me saving myself was the the comparison and the, the the false belief, the story I told myself that everyone else figured this out. Everyone else seems to be doing okay. Everyone else does not look as tired on their Instagram photos. Like I must be broken, or I just must. What more happened for me is I just don't. I haven't, I haven't learned enough. So I like obsessively like read books and took courses like during her naps and during feedings. And really what I realized is like, no, it was a, it was a full surrender initiation for me to be like, here I am and I will figure it out. And I'm not going to figure it out in 10 minutes. And can I be with that discomfort? Wow.
0: It's so, so powerful. And it feels like you almost reparented yourself in a way like you, you were waiting oh. for the savior or the parent and
1: you became the parent, the mother. Oh, my gosh. That's so deep and so true. And there is I have been saying to people and I was like, is this what my next book is about? How triggering of your own childhood stuff, having a small baby is. And like literally the memory, the memory stuff like just floods up as you, as you watch the child you brought into the world are, or are responsible for, like be helpless. Like you can only, so a lot of times I'd be like shushing her, singing to her, rocking to her. And I'd be like, I'm talking to baby Becca. Whoa. I'm rocking baby Becca. Baby Whoa. Atlas is fine. <laughs> baby Becca needs to be rocked right now. Whoa. Yeah. Wow.
0: And it's that, that body remembrance that you can't be prepared for that it brought you into. Yeah. You know, like no book could tell you how your body's going to remember this moment of was I rocked or not? Was I coddled or not?
1: Yeah. It was entirely somatic driven.
0: Yeah. Everything that happened really went through my body. Yeah. And that's not in the things that you can learn and the things that you can anticipate. And yet our society tells us a very different story. That you can yeah. logic your way through pretty much anything, and yeah, just wow! Thank you for sharing that. And for it's interesting as you're talking about like the zh- 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 which for those listening, it's like this like ladder upwards of feeling like the mother, the mother's mother, the mother's mother's mother, which I feel like relates to and ancestry. And for those mm-hmm. who, who don't know your work, who aren't familiar with your work, where did your interest
1: in lineage in ancestry and connecting to ancestors start. Okay. The honest answer is it probably started with like my obsession with like period costume dramas. <laughs> and like, you know, like down <laughs> Downton Abbey, Outlander. If you know, you know. And I just history, you know, there's just a way in which I was like interested. And I wasn't like an ancestry.com nerd. I am now. Uh it was more just like an an interest in it that felt like made my heart swell. And then uh, contending with my, my whiteness, really having that, you know, that that felt like a portal that opened really with Trump's election and, and so much just swirling up in the collective of me being a woman, uh, engaging in spiritual practices um, in a problematic way and not understanding why, and then really having to look at the history of why I'm here. And then me realizing I didn't feel indigenous to anywhere. And just like that severing that has happened to so many of us who identify as, you know, descendants from, from Europe of like, wow, ouch. I feel like, where do I belong? And who, where do I come from? And I have this, you know, exquisite teacher, Liz Milliarelli, otherwise known as Sister Spinster, who I took a year long course with called the folk medicine and magic of old Europe. And I completed that time with a real, like, Oh, I come from lands and waters and trees and plants and soil and mushroom and bone that deserve honoring, you know? And then that gave me a deeper, I was able to travel to these lands. And I realized there's so much of what I've been seeking in like spiritual practices or um, other modalities was really like, oh, the ache, the existential ache, the sort of hole in my heart that comes from so many of our ancestors forced migration for whatever reason, famine, war, better opportunity, you know, and we can put judgments on that. The truth is we don't know what we would have done in the time which was a hard pill for me to swallow. But it just got me into a place of realizing I felt so lonely and alone so much in my life. And a lot of that has to do with the historical context of, of what's happened historically to humans and the way we've been separated from the trees and animals and lands that were our original home. And that, that's what the rise of patriarchy and capitalism, being a woman, being a spiritual woman, being a white woman, there's just so much there. So that's how I got into the grief work of being like, oh, I'm grieving that which I cannot easily tap into, which a lot of my friends whose families have immigrated here later, people of color don't have that feeling. And so uh, that, was my, that was my in is like, oh, I'm contending with something really big here and it's my responsibility to know. Uh, and it's a privilege to know And then that turned into something, a way of life, a way of life, a a lens with which to look at the world. Then I shared it. I shared in the book. I shared in my work as an invitation to folks of all lineages, because most of us are not of one, to explore that too, to explore it alongside me, to remember who and what we come from, because I think there is an amnesia that capitalism and white supremacy does to us that keeps us in behaviors and patterns and ways of treating ourselves and the earth that are destructive and are, are inherently individualist. And our, our natural state is just like the roots of the redwood trees and the mycelium and you know the, the spider webs. We are relational beings. So it's deep and powerful for me. Very deep. And it feels like
0: you know, we're all trees and we all have roots and how deep those roots are depends on your willingness to follow them. And
1: Mm.
0: I'm curious, first of all, I'm curious, your lineage, um, like the lands that you come from and also what somebody who's listening and is like, oh, I'm I'm interested, like where you would recommend that they start.
1: Oh yeah. Number one question I get. (laughs) Everyone's on
0: ancestry.com right now.
1: Yeah. Okay. So uh, my people, hmm. my people entirely come from the lands of what is now known as Europe. So what is now known as the British, Irish, Scottish Isles um, and Welsh areas. Uh, and then like France and Germany, modern day. But before then, where did they come from? The Northern Nordic areas. On my dad's side, it's more Eastern European what we call Poland, and that feels right to share there. But of course, we all come from the mitochondrial Eve of what is now known as Africa. So, what is lineage? Oh. It's a whole oh. mind. Of. Um, but I would, I would say that for a long time, my people lived on what is of what Maria Gambutis, amazing anthropologist, would call old Europe. So pre Indo-European um, invasion, when it was all carved up. So I try to think instead of like I'm German to being like, you know, the black forest or, you know, instead of being like I'm Irish to be like, you know, the cliffs of moore I'm rooting into topography. I'm rooting into places of the lands before these things called borders happened in recent history. So um, I'm saying a lot of words and people are going to connect to some and be mystified by others. And so here's here's the the quick and dirty on connecting to your ancestry. First of all, not everyone can have the like information that you can get on ancestry.com. And most people who can get information on ancestry.com are white. And that's because throughout the history, the, the victors who could read and write wrote things down and preserved it. That's not to say don't go in there if you can't. It's really amazing what you can find. You can also take the DNA test if that feels safe and comfortable to you which has a lot of really good, exciting data on it. And over time, if you've done the spit test, you notice that the data shifts the more sample size they have. So grain of salt. So those are like tactile, like you can do those. There are other ways you can connect to who and what you come from. There's a process called Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, which is to trust like what comes through you, like in your dreams. Or when you're watching Downton Abbey and you feel a certain kind of way. <laughs> or when you're, you know, like I cry when I hear like um, Scottish drumming or Irish bodron. Like that is an ancestral connection practice through music, through food. And I just want to say for folks who are like, uh, I there's trauma. I don't want to touch that. I don't want to touch that. It doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel right. I just want to let you know that We are descended from like billions of beings, many of which are more than human. We are literally descended from mushrooms. We are descended from tree roots. We are descended from stardust. So to connect with lineage is to connect with what feels exciting, what feels safe, what feels um, accessible. And it's a lifelong journey. So what I know now is like probably just the beginning. I just don't want people to get caught up in I'm nationality word, you know, that it's so much deeper than that and that we're connected in so many ways. Um, Like in the book, I have this practice. I have this this practice, like in my work is like, you have to make a family tree. And I got enough feedback from people being like, I don't want to do a family tree. I can't, I won't, it's not working. And so I have this alternative practice called the web of connection where that, that is actually more exciting for a lot of people to think about what we are, connected, who we feel our ancestors or maybe of lineage that aren't by blood. So a concept of affinity, affinity ancestors through, not just through adoption, but like adoption to a spiritual practice or many of my dearest friends in the queer community feel such a connection to what they call the mighty dead, the like ancient queers, the ones who navigated a time and a place when when that was so unsafe and and misunderstood. And then the time before that, when it was all that was. And some who feel deeply connected to stars and feel deeply connected to other worlds. And I'm a yes to all of that because that has us remembering that we are not solitary being stuck on a rock, hurtling through space, trying to figure this out it's like we are a part of a huge family who's navigated gnarly things and incredible things and have have done great harm and have done great good and that's all literally through epigenetics we know lives in our blood and bones so how can we work with that in these times
0: that's so cool because the work that I do, I mean, I say work, it just like on my meditation pillow, what I'm trying to do is like oh, yeah. receive celestial inspiration. And it's almost like the, the tree branches that are reaching up toward the sky. And I feel like what I'm seeing as you're describing this is the work that you do, which is there's so much information in the roots and what is behind us and what we can learn from history. Mm-hmm. And I feel this like warm, like just buzzing about how exciting that is about like, recognizing that we're not fully reinventing the wheel of course being alive in this time in human history is you know the word unprecedented has been used way too many times (laughs) (laughs) it is not precedented in any way shape or form and there's so much that we can learn from our shared history and our interconnectedness and the roots all like our unique trees roots connected to everybody else's i i just think it's really amazing and I wonder. You mentioned something at the start of this conversation where you're like, "I was scrolling through social media, and that's not how my ancestors did things." Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's where it started. Like, I'm I'm cutting vegetables right now, and I wonder how my ancestors did this.
1: Mm -hmm. I just started. It's 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 like a calling, a moment, like a download, you know, whatever term feels right, a spark of insight that happened in my like early twenties, where. You know, I was just like doing all the stuff we're told to do and I was doing it and I was working in San Francisco and doing the thing. And then I just started fantasizing, obsessing, having visions of like the ways we used to be around a table, like birthing each other's babies, giving each other's herbs so that we don't get pregnant, making a healing soup for someone who has a cold, mending clothes and gossiping. You know, there were all these ways In which we as relational beings once were. And I'm not glorifying it because I'm really happy to have a longer lifespan now, you know, and I'm really happy to be talking to you on the internet right now. Yes, totally. And to have temperature controlled, you know, and plumbing. So I'm not glorifying it, but I am saying you and I are partnered with engineer minded folk who happen to be in the AI space, but we are not robots. And this pace of, This pace at which computers go and at which inboxes go and at which social media feeds go is not the pace of our bodies, of our nervous systems. And the information intake is not actually what we were designed to take. And so this is my way of saying, like, if any of this feels untenable, that's a pretty reasonable response. My whole goal with my work, with my book, with my podcast, with my life is for us to be like we are alive in these modern times, and for the in the ways in which it's not working for us, can we say, okay, well, how am I designed? I love this term earth pace. Our ancestors operated an earth pace. So how can I bring? I mean, I'm still on the computer and the socials, but how can I bring an earth pace to my way of being so that I am more present, so that I am more responsive to folks who are in need, so that I'm more equitable. Like there's just so many ways I see it feeding whatever comes next. Earth pace.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you say that, it feels like our ancestors were so connected to the earth. They had to be, that's the elements that they lived in. It was survival. You know, they had to watch the the ebbs and flows of the seasons, but Mm. I'm curious, what does that mean now when we spend, I think I read in your book,
1: 90% of our time indoors, I know it's rough truth right there. I'm like, yo, that's about right. (laughs) Ouch. Well, I think we're at a choice point. It's quite easy to catastrophize things right now, I'm noticing, but I don't really want to choose that. So we're at a choice point, a lot of us, and then having a kid, dude, will just get you into a different kind of mindset about like, how do we move forward? How do we navigate these waters? We can't live in at earth pace, but what choices can we make to bring more thriving into these times? And that's a conversation me and my partner, Tim, are constantly in, you know, and lovingly like putting a mirror up to each other's like tech addictions or, or, or response patterns that we feel are like, be okay. How you doing? So I don't really have the the prescription, and I'm not really in the business to give those out. But I I I think I'm more in the business of normalizing that it's really not supposed to feel like we could keep up, yeah, and be fine. That we can choose, and I think the I do think the salve is in radically choosing a different way of being, going against the grain, which brings up all sorts of other stuff, but. I, I don't really see any other choice but that
0: whatever is happening now isn't working, said in a different way. And I've heard it said that, you know, our bodies have been evolving for millennia, and um, the the earth the pace of of what's happening on this planet right now. I've heard it described as the quickening. like so much yeah. is happening in yeah. a week in a year that would take s- thousands of years before to happen. Yeah. And so it's like earth is like everything that's happening is speeding up and yet our bodies cannot keep pace with that. Yep. Yep. There it is. Yeah. And I don't think anybody's talking about it like, because it's, it's so normalized. And um, I quit my corporate job two years ago. And in many ways, I feel like I took the red pill in the matrix where I was like, Whoa, like I don't have a consistent inbox to, to be, you know,
1: connected to and, Yeah. But not everybody has that choice to, to leave it. I know that's rough too. Right. Contending with that. Yeah. I left it too. My partner's about to leave it. This whole idea of like the whole capitalist mindset of like just growth for growth's sake forever. And how I'm just like, literally like nothing in the, nothing on earth shows us that like Mm. whose idea was that? (laughs) nothing does that right you know like the volcano eventually erupts or like winter comes and everything dies back and drops their seeds and rests until the snow melts and the and everything sprouts again like this is what I remind myself you know when I do feel like I'm supposed to operate in my body that way and then I look at yeah just like corporate personhood and just the way the way capitalism is running. And I, again, I'm really trying not to be a catastrophized person, particularly because I have a young child, but I, I can't keep going. Right. It can't. And I think the first thing we can do is drop back into our bodies and remind our bodies and our souls that it can't keep going like that. But we come from a lot of beings that never did that anyways. Like, it's maybe like two or three generations back that like capitalism really reared its head, right? And industrialization, all that. But before then, many, 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 many beings, right? Operated more slowly. So I guess it's like, it's a resilience practice for whatever comes. And I don't know what's coming and I don't necessarily think it's like super gnarly, super quick, but it's, I think it's important to talk about now. Totally. Yeah, something's got to give. Yeah. I'm curious for
0: people who are like, how was it back then? Because you've spent a lot of time through, whether it's through gnosis of just like feeling it in your in yourself or studying it. What are some of the practices that you're like, duh, it was that way, but it feels like a lost art.
1: I feel it a lot when I engage in working with my hands or handwork and it's hard. <laughs> and I'm like, screw this. <laughs> it's too hard. I'm my inner perfectionist doesn't like this feeling (laughs) it's in those moments where i'm like wait okay like how long did it take my great great -great grandmother to like weave a basket tight enough to hold water whoa you know how many like failed crops happen until they finally figured out like the right ph balance of the soil to have like the fattest potatoes to get them (laughs) through winter you know, like I'm not going to Google that and get it the first time. So it's through frustration that I feel a deep connection. I, I feel humbled. Mm. And I have that's sort of been this unexpected medicine for me over the last like decade of my life, particularly motherhood is like, woo, OK, wow, I know nothing, but that's OK because it's in me. Mm. And can I be with. Yeah, the burnt cookies or the. You know, the ravens ate all my corn and my garden that I spent, you know, that I prayed over the seas (laughs) in the winter and then they're just gone in a day. You know, can I be with all of that? Yeah. And be like, okay, okay, it's in me and I got to stay in it. Devotion, a devotional practice. Yeah. This
0: inner wisdom, not immediately reaching for Google, not saying that Google will ever be out of our lives because it's useful, but just, Asking yourself, am I immediately reaching for it? I, I love that you're learning through the frustration. and i I have some curiosity around like gathering practices, of mm-hmm. being in community because I know that's a huge pillar of the work yeah. that you stand for is you describe it as that we're living in the age of loneliness. And I know that came from yeah. a particular article, but perhaps you could paint the backdrop of what we're all feeling and then maybe lead us into some practices for connecting.
1: You got it. I, there's a, there's a few great thinkers who I can't quite find the original person that coined this time we're living in as the age of loneliness. But when I heard that maybe like six years back, it just felt so true in my system. You know, within this context, we're talking about of like the pace picking up and us and our human animal bodies trying to keep up with that. There's also this idea that we're more technologically connected than ever before but that there's just from a mental health perspective and what we've been able to measure as a society, like a a real sharp increase, anxiety and depression and generalized feeling of isolation. And then of course, hello, uh, COVID happened. And um, we're just really, that data is just coming out now around the mental health impacts, particularly on the adolescents, uh, which I find really devastating. And then I was interested in this term loneliness. So loneliness is a pain state. Solitude is different. All my introverts are like, Hey, I like being alone. And I'm like, <laughs> listen, I married one of you and you're still a relational being who needs to be touched and listened to. Um, so loneliness is actually like only a 150 year old word wow. because being lonely or like having moments of solitude or probably has always been around and human history, but as being a chronic condition, that's a new thing. And so I was curious about why and did lots of research and share a little bit in the book that it has a lot to do with the fact that if you just think about us being like tribal clan folk that needed each other to stay alive, like let's take it back caveman days, right? That we needed each other to stay alive, to feed each other, to protect each other, all of that we can get there pretty quickly. And we also lived, we human beings lived in, like there was no roofs, you know, there was no plumbing, there was no cars. And then over time, right. We were separated by, by the process of enclosure from the natural world, the living world. And then cities happen, right. Because that's where the money, right. Cause capitalism happened. So then jobs moved to the city and then we still could meet each other on the streets. And then cars happened. George Monbiot talks about this. He's a great writer. Um, Cars happened, which took us off the street. And then the pinnacle of success is what? The single family home. The way to be most successful is to not depend on anyone and to live alone. Mm -hmm. Which as a mother pisses me off because nuclear family living is the hardest on her. Yeah. Village life is actually our natural state. Even if you're an introvert, so um, I like to give that context to us living in the age of loneliness is like our natural state is is to need and and support each other, and most of us are pretty clunky with that, pretty clunky with that, because it's been taken away from us. So the practice of gathering is just as important to me as the practice of like remembering I come from you know all these all these ancestors who you know, have strengthened and, and shared their wisdom with me. Um, and it's, it's difficult too. So I, I believe, I mean, I believe in the practice of circle, which is a non hierarchical way of gathering in a sacred way. Maybe you've heard of moon circles, or maybe you've heard of like celebrating these pagan holidays. I do do these things. But what matters to me is coming together intentionally with people, not just like a a party, which I go to, you know, but coming together with an intention and reverence have an opening and a closing, whether it's like, you know, saying a prayer of gratitude before eating and, and some sort of cheers and celebration goodbye. But that sort of arc of a gathering is deep, is deeply nourishing to humans. And it's a, it's a practice I'm in. I host them. I go to them. I have a women's group. We meet on the new moon. We've met on the new moon every month for eight years. Wow. Yeah. And it's still so hard. Brings up a lot of stuff, <laughs> brings up a lot of stuff, but it's a practice that I want to return to. I'm really interested in revillaging this term, revillaging. How can we in these modern times with our single family homes? Like, I don't know if I'll ever go live on a commune, but how can we bring that energy right into our lives? Do we all know the names of our neighbors? Do we know their needs? Like you and I live in fire country. Like should the power go out? Do we know who lives on our street, like needs backup power for oxygen tanks or needs help evacuating? This is the practice of coming back into relationality and community care. That is the context for why I gather and why I encourage people to gather more than just like random parties, but really, like how do we get our needs met in a communal way? Whoa. There's so much
0: in what you said, and the context of what you shared is beautiful because I felt it. Mm-hmm. And I heard some beautiful tactical takeaways. Get to know the people that you live around when you gather bringing, you use the word intentionality and I Mm. heard gratitude for the meal and potentially gathering in circles with other humans. There's a men's circle that my partner is about to join in uh, Mill Valley, which I would love to tell your partner about too. I think there's something very cool there. And I'm curious if there are any other practices like in circle that you find to be really Mm. like to leave you with that feeling of I am connected. My stories are other people's stories. My pain is not isolated and alone. It, it was that burden was shared and witnessed. I'm curious if there are other things that have been nourishing for you.
1: <clears throat> yeah, this word you used witnessed to witness, uh, I think is the most powerful practice in a circle or gathering, which is, emptying yourself so if you're listening to someone share emptying yourself out of any preconception of what you want to say next of what you know what's in the back of your mind and just receiving i I, there's a practice i share in the book called fertile listening that idea of being the fertile void from which to receive this other person's share Uh, and then not having to say anything to prove your value, to make them feel better. Cause that's all about you and your caretaking or your need to feel valuable by what you give instead of by your beingness to use your word. Um, and when I do circles, when I lead like circles or workshops or retreats, we, this is what we do the first day is we do like two-on-one or one-on-one practice of just just answering the question, how am I doing really receiving what they're saying without, even if they're crying, not handing them a tissue unless they ask. Hmm. And it brings up so much, so much around the way we interact with each other And because the gift of witnessing someone else is not seeing them as need to be needing to be saved, coming back to a theme for me as them being the hero of their own story. And the gift you give them is listening and witnessing them exactly where they are. It's powerful stuff.
0: Totally. Of going around the circle and hearing and, and I'm getting the visualization of just like this pregnant silence to appreciate and honor and revere what that person has just shared. And even in conversation, practicing that,
1: like, let's give that a moment. Let's give that the energetic space it deserves. It's a challenge and, and it's a skill. I really am devoted to honing, getting used to silence, getting used to having nothing to say, getting used to not having a story to relate, waiting for them to ask what they want or I'm, here's a, here's a good little tip. Even if you're just like saying, talking to a friend to say, are you looking for reflections? Would you just like me to witness you? Like, what are you seeking in this? Mm -hmm. And letting them answer.
0: That's really beautiful and profound. And I love that you're being called back into leading retreats potentially, because I can feel that there's so much that you can do to hold space. Are there any other gathering things you, you kind of just casually glossed by the fact that you celebrate the pagan holidays, <laughs> but I kind of want to go
1: back to that
0: Yeah, <laughs> for those who who haven't heard of them or don't know, or yeah. I don't know, is that, does that feel right for you in this season of life?
1: Oh yeah. I'm a part of a community that like travels for it. Like it's a very big deal to us and we're not of any sort of dogmatic spiritual, you know, this isn't like Wicca or um, anything that has to do with any sort of, um, yeah, religion or anything. It's more, it's a, it's a practice for me to connect with the lands I come from and, and the ways pre-Christianity in old Europe, my ancestors marked the moving of the seasons. And once I, and and a lot of folks, um, a lot of the, what's written on the internet is very focused on Celtic celebrations, but like what I want to say, so like these are ones like Beltane was like for May Day that I just, that's actually how I got COVID, uh, was, um, which was a whole other conversation. But Beltane celebrates the beginning of spring and Samhain, otherwise known as Halloween, celebrates the end of the year, the death. It's like the ancestor time, the death of the plants on earth, and then the beginning of winter. Uh, and then you know, there's the the solstices and the equinoxes. And a lot of what's written out there is more from a Celtic perspective, but you know, my Polish ancestors had different words for it. And like my partners, like Southern European Balkan ancestors had different words and probably celebrated on different days because of the location of the sun and when the seasons moved and when the harvest came in. So I like to let people know that for people who are like may 1st gotta have a maypole and a flower crown and i'm like well you know it's more about noticing when the, when the, you feel the seasonal shift and how you can celebrate it so i'm in a community that we're building over the last few years that we're committed to Beltane and we're committed to saw and and we're sort of trying to sustainably like find something that works then we add on the next one so that so that's someday every six weeks we're gathering together. But oh my you know, God. There's jobs and weeks. kids and they're every six weeks. So every wow. six weeks. So we I don't know when this is coming out, but we're like we're a few weeks out from the summer solstice. And then six weeks after that is basically the beginning of the harvest. Some call it lunasa. That's like beginning of August, berry harvest, first wheat harvest, six weeks after that is the fall equinox. I'm, of course, speaking from a Northern Hemisphere perspective. Southern Hemisphere folks are, it's winter right now, Right, cozy on in. And then six weeks after that is Samhain, which is, you know, Halloween. Halloween has its roots in this pagan holiday, by the way. And then you slide right on in into winter solstice. And so if you think about that, there's just like always something to celebrate. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and the wheel of the year just turns and turns. So that's a practice I'm in. And I, I used to be really into like the Celtic thing. And I even brought women to Ireland to the ancient site to watch the Beltane fire. Irish Celtic, it's Bealtaine. It was rad. Uh, it was like the coolest thing ever. I, got, I did it three years. Um, wow. Yeah. But I'm really expanding my perspective. I saw ways in which I was centering this like a few people who got on the internet and were popular in their writing around the Celtic holidays and really seeing myself as more than just of my Celtic ancestry. I'm a, of people of the land, that's pagan people of the land and how I now live on coast Miwok land in Northern California, where the seasons look very different from the way, from the lands my ancestors are from and how The growing season for us happens when the rains come October, November, December, January. Pick one. We also have fire season. So then you layer on climate change. And how can we be people of the earth now in the way it is now, where we live now, and also honor the land the way our ancestors did? It's just a lifelong exploration of mine. And it brings, I could just summarize this. It gets, you know how I'm talking about how the body, The somatic body is like telling me what's real and true. Like the earth is also a body. Mm. And so to connect to like, to connect to the seasonal shift, like it feels like summer is here where we are now and the ripening of the fruit on the vine and like, okay, that's where we are here. But I was just on the East coast and it's like the lilacs are just blooming and it's more fertility back there. But I'm here, I'm here now. Connecting to a sense of place and honoring it and yeah, we have little rituals, we give offerings and we say thank you. And I have my daughter like touch the earth. And that's a way for me to be here now. And it's free. It's Whether free. You live
0: in an urban place or not. There is earth somewhere. Even beneath even all that cement. Totally. Like <laughs> it's it's available and it's here and it's been always been here. And I didn't know that pagan meant people of the land. We need yeah. to pause on that for a moment because. There's so many associations with paganism and pagan as a word. And the simplicity of that definition blows my mind. People of the earth, people of the land, stewards of the land. I I think that it's a really important and simple message for how chaotic it is on our planet right now. Mm. That whenever you need to center yourself, the earth is a body that's willing and welcome to receive you. It's so simple and and I hope that it's not eye roll either, but it's like, it's always available and always there. And yeah, I think like the curiosity of like, can you do one thing today to just get curious about the the plants that are in your environment? Like you talking about California, it's so true. Northern California has its own seasons and mm-hmm. moving up to Miranda in the past year, I've gotten to experience like it is so different mm. than San Francisco proper and so different mm. from the Midwest where I grew up. And mm so different yeah. from your ancestral lands and and the takeaway that i have from this entire conversation is can you get curious so it's really cool and i love the aspect of celebrating these holidays which allows you to create a moment to get curious about the seasons changing
1: yeah in the now and the now i think uh, there's also a lot of like fear with with climate change upon us about like i don't know like we live in a place where it's like if the fires start early, it's different or like the tree shouldn't be blooming this early. And it's like, but they are mm. here. Here we are. Can we feel that grief? Can we feel that? Ah, can we connect to that tree? That's like, well, it's warm enough to bloom and just be with it. Yeah. That's a practice for me as someone who gets very freaked out. Wow.
0: And I feel like it's connected to what you're talking about. you you're coming into motherhood is surrendering to what the experience was and is rather Mm -hmm. than your expectations of it. So again and again and again, again and again. (laughs) All right, Becca. And I just want to come back to your book for a second, because there are these, for those who who haven't heard of her book, it's called root and ritual, as she said, and it's a beautifully illustrated book. It just makes me, it's like a coffee table. It's like, I want to, you know, in every room and there are these different sections of it. There's what we long for, which is kind of talking about this age of loneliness, which you've been talking about, and, and the yearning that we have to be connected and to feel connected. Um, and then there are these four parts of how you can connect and belong through land, through lineage, through community and through self. And we've talked about the first three, but I feel like I want to spend a, a little bit of time with the self, and mm. you know what that, that means and where that came from this desire to belong to oneself.
1: Yeah, I think it's it it had to go at the end for the reader for all of us to remember. Uh because I think so many of us reach outside of ourselves to ease what is, you know, revealing itself within. And you know that our bodies are our first homes. Uh and our our thoughts are Our thoughts about ourselves and our emotional, our emotions and our beliefs, they're all formed over time by whatever happens. And so it's actually a really tender section uh, that has you looking at your relationship and timeline of your body, that has you doing rituals of like rubbing oil on your body and talking to your body, has you looking at the stories you tell yourself and ways of reframing it, has you seeing the ways that you are wild, that you are of this living world that we feel so separate from and spend only 10% of our days in, that we are cyclical seasonal beings, that we aren't machines. Mm. Um, And then at the end, I I have the reader write a letter to their future self, really speaking the truth about what they know and what they observe and who they are Because I think belonging cannot be achieved without, achieved is such a lame word, belonging cannot be felt without touching on the very tender, very deep uh, experience of being with oneself.
0: Whoa. I feel so much collective emotion, likely a little personal emotion too, but there's so much. That's in the collective of like, I can love myself. There's a very powerful practice I did two years ago, just looking like mirror gazing, looking at myself in the mirror for like 11 uninterrupted minutes. And I've come back to the practice again and again. But the very first time I ever did it, I looked at myself in the mirror and just saw all my perceived imperfections and flaws. And it was such a tender, emotional thing to look at myself and it's uncomfortable because you're meeting mm. your own gaze. It can feel a little like, like just a little eerie almost because you see, you you kind of see your soul. Like you see mm. this being that exists beyond the body. And then when you kind of orient yourself in the space, you, you then start to look at your body with a little bit of curiosity. Like, can I love this vessel that I'm inhabiting that is so unique? It's never existed before. It'll never mm. exist again. and before I, I do podcasts, I'll literally like spend a couple minutes eye gazing in the mirror, not through this narcissistic lens, but it's like, can I center myself in my body? And can I appreciate this unique being that I am privileged to be a steward of in the same way that we're the steward of our land? Mm. So I don't know. I, I just mm. think that it's such a powerful section to end on. And I think self-love is such a trite overused yeah. thing. But it's like that deep self-love, that's hard to find. That's hard to cultivate Mm -hmm. within
1: yourself. So I said, I have a toddler and it's been such a privilege to watch her come, like her soul come into her body. And then, you know, for her to like really develop motor skills and then learn that she has a thumb and a thumb (laughs) can do this. And to learn like the joy of like making different sounds with her tongue and and like the how different textures feel on her face and the way she is so oriented to pleasure and joy. The laughter that just comes out of just like interacting with a small space and the way she looks at herself in the mirror, like brings me to tears. She, it is like, wow. She'll look at me and she'll be like, mama. Like, "Are you, mama. <laughs> are you? And I'm just like, i know and god it's like the the teaching moments of having a child just like but that one i just very clearly see our innate essence as humans is like to enjoy being in our bodies and that oof, that's a big one that's a big one
0: and it's so interesting that we're ending on on this note because we found each other. We were connected to one another through Jackie, love you, Jackie, shout out yet again, who teaches, you know, strengthening and, and, and inhabiting the body. And and it's such an interesting thing um, Mm. of like honoring your body. And, and I'm so curious about like what you make in a week because you're so connected to the land. I feel like you're, you're like making soups and, and things. That's what I envision you doing, like connecting yeah, to a garden. Not nearly
1: as much as you probably think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I harvested garlic yesterday wow. that I planted. I grief planted the garlic last October. It was when the, the skies were really dark with with smoke. And I was just like, here we go again. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to plant this garlic. And I, it's very exciting to plant garlic because you just take the garlic bulb And you put it in the ground, like from the grocery store, you put it in the ground. And I, I just, when I harvested it yesterday, I was like, oh my gosh, I planted a spell to move my grief. It worked. And that was just really special. Wow. That's that's what I did yesterday, but I didn't make anything else.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I worked out with Jackie. (laughs) Yes, you did. Yeah. And Yeah. It's so cool. I love I love that you can take a gr- garlic from the grocery store and plant it in the ground that makes it feel so accessible. Tell
1: your friends. Yeah. It's right I'll there. It. It's right there.
0: It's right there. And it's funny cuz you see it like growing within itself when you leave it out for too long. So, well, you it can make just, put, just
1: just pop it in soil, water pop it in the ground. Yeah.
0: Amazing. What else is <sighs> like making you feel alive in your garden right now?
1: oh my gosh, the monarchs are here. So I planted milkweed. So monarchs are like becoming endangered uh, butterflies. And um, the, the best thing we can plant is milkweed for them, which is a native. And for the past few years, the milkweed has been taken down by aphids. And I've just been like in a battle with the aphids. And I finally talked to a master gardener at the farmer's market. And she was like, you have to just let the aphids take them. There's nothing you can do. Here we are again, surrendering. And I was like, no. And she was like, it's okay. they will try again next year. Their roots are strengthening. It's fine. So I'd like several years. And I was like, I just want to be a good steward of the land. And you know, feeling guilt for all the freaking things I put in the trash can. And then there's no aphids this year. And the milkweed is like, and then the, yesterday I was listening to a podcast in and just like pulling weeds. And then I just sat in the garden and then I just saw all like three monarch butterflies just come and land on the milkweed. And I was like, miracle of miracles, wow. You know, it's a little bit, you know, it's like a quiet celebration. Totally. <laughs> it's just like, like I
0: can't breathe. I don't want to scare them. But also and I wanted oh to tell God. someone
1: and I was like, well, <laughs> anyone understand?
0: <laughs> it felt really good. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. And what I hear in that is like, can you trust the divine timing of it? Can you oh, trust when it's mm. meant to be? It's meant to be. And if it feels like an uphill battle, there's a reason for that. Like even with technological snafus, like there's so much that's like telling us where water is naturally flowing and where it's it's not yeah. so hell yes mm-hmm. for your milkweed Thanks. yay for the celebration of the monarchs coming to dance and having that quiet moment with nature I, yeah. I think for anyone listening maybe one of the takeaways from this is can you spend a still quiet moment in nature mm-hmm. in the next couple weeks mm-hmm. Of just like it, I think the, the Japanese practice that I read in your book is forest bathing, Mm -hmm. which I've, I've done before on various retreats, but it's like, can you just notice with your five senses what's happening around you?
1: Mm -hmm. It's like kind of funny that we have to be told to do that. Like, why can't we do that? But here we are, make some space. Well, how to forest bathe if you have to, but like, just be in it. Just, just keep trying. Totally.
0: Everything. I mean, the way that we're connected right now through zoom over the internet, like everything was created through that, like false separation from self and nature. And yet there's a way to return to it now. And I Mm -hmm. I feel that possibility. I think you Mm -hmm. called it a choice point. Becca, thank you so much for sharing Mm -hmm. your energy, your knowledge, your voice. I'm grateful to know you and to learn from you. And, uh, I'm curious how folks can stay connected to your work and what else will come through you in this unexpected lifetime you chose?
1: <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? I just wait to respond. Yeah. So I have a podcast called Belonging. Uh, it's the one with the the red behind it, not the mega church one. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You'll figure it out pretty quick. Yep. It's the one with all the flowers on it. Uh, and you can check out the book root and ritual, uh, wherever books are sold. And then, yeah, I'm on Instagram. I kind of like it there right now. Becca P. Australia, if you write it, some semblance of that word, the algorithm finds me, um, and come say hi. Love to chat. You're awesome, Becca. Thank you so much.
0: And we'll talk soon. Thank you.